Aisha Iqbal is a media communications expert and coach with 18 years experience as a journalist and BBC News anchor. She's a TEDx host, keynote speaker, and now the director of her own company, Wiz Media. If you want to power up your public speaking and become a better communicator, then this is the episode for you. We also dive into inclusivity within the workplace. It is such a valuable conversation to listen to. Now at Leader Connect, we're passionate about taking the complicated out of leadership. We offer bespoke training that works for your team and your budget. You can find more on our website, leader-connect.co.uk, as well as reading about some of the amazing feedback we've had from recent courses. Here you go. I've been looking forward to this one for ages because I think we're going to have so much to talk about. Can I please welcome to the pod, Aisha Iqbal, 60 seconds to tell us all about you. I was born and raised in a place called Croydon that many people have heard about. I went to state school, but I was a girl with a lot of passion and inspiration and ambition to go into the broadcast sector. I didn't leave school with the best qualifications. And I thought, well, you know what? There's not much else I can do. I'm just going to be a presenter. But that's kind of launched me on a path that I think was my destiny um, initially for that period of time. And I ended up working in local radio for the ethnic press as a news editor, moved into ITV West Country, just moved all the way to Devon and Southwest, where, and then got headhunted one day by the BBC, where I became one of the, ma- the main news anchors there and one of their reporters. But now I've gone from broadcasting into business, which is a whole new journey very exciting um, and has some similarities to broadcasting in the sense that I'm always meeting new people there's a lot of creativity there's a lot of passion involved in it also so currently I'm on um, a business a coaching business journey at Leader Connect uh, we talk about people having a clear and compelling purpose other people might call it a mission or a why but a clear and compelling purpose is what we're all about. And it's such an important thing for, for a leader to have personally, um, but also for the leader to, for their team to understand what the team clear and compelling purpose is. What is your clear and compelling purpose? My current clear and compelling purpose is to empower people to be the best communicators that they can possibly be. And that is because I think that communication is absolutely paramount to developing and building successful relationships, whether that's in your personal life, your private life, your social life, and in your business world and careers. I think it's such a fundamental skill. It defines your life completely. And if you get it right, you'll notice a huge difference in in every area of your life. And so that is my that is my purpose. I think it's also the way that we will change the world or continue to change yeah. the world. I think that if we are able to create a community of great communicators, particularly people who have got a passion or a desire to change the world, um, I think that if they're able to communicate that passion effectively, I honestly think that's 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 all they need to be able to make that that vision successful. And if you look at the people that have changed the world, um, you know, some of those big names, they have all been amazing communicators, which is why I think it's so important. 
Absolutely, absolutely. All the, yes, the, those who have made a big impact on the world have been phenomenal communicators. And also I'm noticing that there is a real um, change in society as well towards effective communication, not just about being the best communicator, but really communicating in a way that's good for you and also good for others. So it's a win-win situation. And that ultimately creates a more peaceful, harmonious society and people feel safer as well. And I think it's very good in every way. It's very good psychologically for everyone. It's very good for productivity when it comes to business. And it's just very good for well-being. So it kind of covers all areas. And if we as a society, I think society is a very powerful force. I think we could do things individually and work on ourselves. But when we have that social consensus, that social awareness and that social support in, a, in, in the business world or within the family or within our social sphere, that we should be communicating with you know, in, in the right way and um, in the proper way with one another, um, we really can change, make a massive difference in our lives and the lives of others and across the UK and potentially the world. How important do you think is communication as a core leadership skill? I think communication is a fundamental leadership skill. As you mentioned, the best leadership, the best leaders in the past have been phenomenal communicators. And I think we're in a time and a day and an age where we have Generation Z and we have millennials and they're expecting a new style of leadership as well. They want leaders who are going to be able to inspire and influence them. They want leaders who also naturally possess gravitas and authority because that's they're the only leaders that are going to, that are going to be respected. But they also want leaders who are in touch with them. And so leaders need to be personable. So leadership today is extremely important, but it is evolving and it is changing. Can you explain how it is changing? I think because in organisations, I think today, um, employees don't just want to have uh, leaders that are kind of in their rooms and just being authoritative and disconnected from them. They want connection from their leaders. And employees today want to be inspired and influenced by their leaders. They want them to be personal. They want to have some kind of a connection with them, which comes through engagement with them. And they want them to be also people that they can admire. And that comes with them possessing um, you know, a healthy degree of gravitas and authority. So I think that, um, you know, I think there's a, that, that expectation is on leaders and they now have to raise the bar to get to that level, which is quite, a, which, you know, is a challenge if you're used to being a leader that leads with authority. You have to now find a good balance that's going to be um, the people's leader. Yeah. And I like, I like that term influencer. Now, uh, well, I like it, but in many ways I don't like it because I, I think that that quite often we we see the influencer almost as a sort of slightly negative term. But I do think that leaders need to be influencers. They need to have that that power to to influence change and to be somebody that 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 is there, not not in a really remote way, but somebody that that, that the team admires and aspires to be, but also in a very approachable way, because the influencer that we see on social media tends to be quite disconnected from us. So it therefore feels quite unobtainable. What do you think then from your personal experience as a, as a communicator, as a broadcaster, what is the definition of good communication? To me, good communication is being able to establish, you know, good connection with another individual with harmony. That is, I believe, the fundamental of good communication. And if you can do that, you've got it right. That comprises all the core elements of communi good communication skills, such as being able to truly listen to another person without judgment. 
um, and also to be able to express your thoughts and your feelings clearly to another person. Clarity is also very key. Um, so I think listening skills, being able to be, um, express yourself clearly to another person, and also just being confident to be who you are. I think if, if you can comprise all these elements together, you know, you end up with a result that is um, harmonious communication. And I think that is what we should be aspiring towards. Leadership is just plain you. And I think that if there's one thing that I've observed, not just in leaders, but in all of us, and particularly actually, you know, for us as as broadcasters as well, you know, you will have a persona that you would have used in in your case on on screen and in in in, in my case behind the mic. But actually, the key to being a successful leader is being authentic to who you are. And by being authentic to who you are, you're then able to communicate more effectively because there's nothing worse than we all play a bit of a role, don't we? But there's there's nothing worse than creating this role that isn't you because that just leads to poor communication, I think. Yeah. And I think there is a real drive to be, you know, to to be more authentic and whether you go onto social media or whether I'm mixing with people, I'm finding that people are trying to be themselves to the best of their ability. Obviously we're still in a world where there is a lot of ego still that exists. So I think it is a fine balancing act because, you know, sometimes when people go too authentic, they can overshare as well. (laughs) And we don't necessarily need to go down that road. We do need to find a balance between communicating well and being authentic to the point where we're not always trying to hide away and always trying to impress other people and always trying to put on an act. You know, we need to be authentic, but we also need to find a good balance. I wanted to talk about the leader who finds it really hard to be perhaps in front of an audience, whether or not that's in, I don't know, a, a boardroom or a big meeting on a stage. I think more and more people are being invited to join people like like me on a podcast. And for some people that absolutely fills them with fear. And it's one of the things that is preventing leaders from truly taking their mission or their passion to the next level. What are your hints and tips and advice and wisdom for leaders that are perhaps struggling to 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 step up and use their voice? I think the first thing is practice right nothing happens without practice so if you are a leader and you find it intimidating to express yourself on a public platform you need to really start practicing um using your voice I mean start at home with your family start delivering public speeches to them start recording yourself on your iPhone um and and you know just so you can give yourself feedback and so you can start building your confidence in that area the more you practice the better you're going to be um I also think that if you are going to be actually delivering something and it's coming up um you know try to be clear about the message that you want to convey if you have passion for something it's going to give you natural courage because there's going to be meaning and something significant you want to put across to your audience so I think that is going to enable you to enhance your delivery also just realizing that those who are listening to you aren't you know I mean you know they're listening to you because they want to they're there you know to support you they're not there to criticize and condemn you so try to also you know remember that and to also um, understand your audience so that you can you know be engaging with them in that way and just keep things simple and don't be afraid of making mistakes and errors I mean you know people sometimes think a lot of people who are leaders they, they can be real perfectionists and they can be very concerned about making the tiniest mistake but people don't often notice the tiniest mistake and people can actually warm to you more if you can make some mistakes when you're you know when you're on a public platform and just be comfortable with that and don't think things are always going to go perfectly it's it's very human to make mistakes and to make errors and 
and and that's totally fine. And I think you made a, a very good point, really, about about the audience. So, so two things I was going to say was that that we've all sat in audiences and seen the person up front and gone, oh my goodness me, you know, I I could I could never do that. So the chances are the audience are probably more nervous than than you are. I always allow myself lots of time. And it probably feels like an age, but it probably isn't a good 30 seconds just to stand there and take in that environment, look at the audience and understand who's in there. And and then sometimes I might even pick two, three or four people that I'm going to directly talk to. Yeah. Not not just one, because that's really intimidating. I've been to, there's nothing worse than seeing somebody kind of looking at you and you then you're putting that person on the spot as well. And then the, so, so I think taking some time to observe who's there and, and kind of connect with them perhaps visually. And also maybe, you know, there's other techniques which can be highly effective, uh, effective psychologically and physiologically, which is, you know, to do deep breathing. Um, If there's anxiety and nervousness, you know really taking a five to ten minutes out prior to delivering your presentation and deep breathing can really relax the system and take you out of fight and flight mode and into into a more zen place Mm. that can be you know very effective for somebody maybe doing a workout prior to delivering their speech will also have a good physiological and psychological impact um you know there's many little there's many things out there that you can also do and if you bring them all together you will just naturally be more relaxed when you are so that in combination with the psychological um things that I just mentioned um you know that dual combination I think can be quite potent and powerful I want to do the sandwich okay most (laughs) we've all got them most awkward moment in broadcasting that you're happy to talk about yeah there is one that was just the worst disaster for me that I never forget and it was just the worst day of my life you know I used to do a lot of breakfast shifts along with evening and you know late bulletins as well so I did a whole variety but it was a breakfast and it used to be the most impossible thing to get up at 4 30 in the morning you never got used to it and obviously it happens on one occasion that your alarm (laughs) doesn't go off or you probably just switch it off and I did and when I woke up I realized I had about half an hour to get into the studio and I didn't have any makeup on. And I, you know, need my makeup in the morning, definitely to appear on screen half decent. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I either don't go in, which is going to be a calamity because there's no one who's gonna who's gonna present the news, or I'm just gonna have to go on air looking pretty, you know, very plain. People probably won't recognize me. And I did. And I had to go into the studio, sit there barefaced. I'm sure the production team were like, is that is that even her? And yeah, that was a very uncomfortable moment for me. And if you had a few people come in the day and go, we saw you at 6.30 in the morning, you looked really different. I was like, thanks. Partly the reason why I, I went into radio was because I, I didn't necessarily have to worry about that. Oh, ble- it's such a blessing. Yeah, it, I mean, it really was. I didn't realise that at the time, but now I look back on it, 100% it was. I used to do a show on a on a Sunday and, and more often than not, I would go in to work in my pyjamas because no one was going to see me apart from the one time that I went to the supermarket afterwards and I was buying my breakfast after the show and somebody shouted my name, pack supermarket, across all of the tills and everybody turned around and I was in my pyjamas. So it was so similar. Similarly, wonderful moment for me as well. Everybody thinks that being recognisable is brilliant. It is not. Not at all. Not at all. Book that you've read that you would buy as a present for all of your friends. I do this. I find a book. I'm like, I love it. 
everyone's having a copy. Well, I haven't completely read it, but I just read a few pages and it was at my cousin's, it was on my cousin's bedside table, which was a bit of a profound shock for me because it's not the kind of book she'd ever read. It's called Divine Love. And I'm from an Islamic background and, you know, that brings its own challenges and missions. And it's just, it was just beautiful because it really looked at Islam from a very different mystical, spiritual dimension. And I opened the page and I was like, wow. And then I was like, you know what? I am buying this and I'm going to, and I can just tell from reading that one chapter, well, even though that one page, I was like, this is something different. I have just mentally added that to my Amazon basket. Do you have a quote or mantra that you've lived by that you always turn to when things get difficult? There, I have a very spiritual side to myself, very deep spiritual side. And I'm a, I'm a woman of the West, but I'm also influenced by the East. Mm-hmm. So I have a quote from it which is an islamic quote actually is that life is fleeting it's very temporary and when there's hard moments and dark moments and i've been through them in my life that just i just remember that and it's incredibly inspiring uplifting and empowering and makes you realize you know what there's a deeper meaning to my existence it's not just about all the stuff that we're preoccupied what preoccupied with that is something that always often comes to mind. And um, if you want to go by a, a general saying, I'd say something like, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I'm always like, you know what? It's okay. Times are tough. Who cares? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep moving forward. Nothing's going to stop me. And I think that's a, a mindset that develops when you're born and raised in Croydon and you go to state school and you've got to be a fighter. <laughs> I want to understand what growing, so, so we're the same age. I won't tell people how old we are because we just don't. Yeah, the, the prime of our life isn't the best time. We are. We're marginally over 40, the pair of us. <laughs> Um, I want to understand what it was like um, to grow up as a Muslim woman in the UK in the kind of 20th, 21st century. Um, I want to know what it was like for you in order to kind of, for us to kind of put into context some of the stuff that we'll talk about after you've answered this question. I would say looking back now, I think it's actually been quite a challenge. Mm. It's been a, it's been a balancing act because the Islamic the Islamic kind of morality, the community, the family and the culture is always pulling you in the direction of doing the right thing, doing good and doing and abiding by some very, very strong moral principles. And yet at the same time as human beings, we're very um, you know, naturally inclined towards our peer group and our society and and trends and fashions and, uh, you know, and just the regular stuff of life. So when you're being told within your family and um, with with your faith, um, you know, you're you're told, for example, that you need to dress with modesty. That's a very big thing. You're being told that alcohol is a complete, completely forbidden. We mustn't even touch alcohol. Um, We're told that chastity is so important, especially as a Muslim woman and Muslim men expect chastity from their women, especially prior prior in the last, you know, in five, 10 years ago, more so as um, it was these were such important things that were embedded into our minds and that was start in stark contrast with what we were being told by you know I'd also be reading you know Cosmo in just 17 and looks I'd be watching all the regular programs on TV I'd be hanging out with my friends at school and that you're being pulled in two completely separate directions because you've got you know a western society that over a period of time is becoming more hedonistic and more liberal and um it's all about have hey have a great time enjoy your life uh, you only live once life is short and the immorality aspect in islam is telling you you know what life is fleeting life is temporary there's a greater purpose and a meaning to your existence don't give in to your desires have a balance you can have a good life but you can find you have to be done within certain boundaries and parameters and juggling that can be a real balancing act and I can truly say that I have found that to be a challenge but I've I've worked out my way and I think because I'm a confident person I know a lot of friends who find that that pretty hard 
But because I'm a confident person and I believe in morals, and I think morals are very important for the functioning of the individual, for the healthy functioning of the individual, and for the healthy functioning functioning of society as a whole, I haven't. Um, there's times where I have, you know, dabbled here and there, but I've genuinely tried to keep within the lines of my faith. Um, and I think when you're younger, it's probably a bit tougher. But as you grow out of that peer group pressure, most people aren't doing all those kind of stuff. We're not about it's not all about clubbing and raving and boozing and stuff. Um, so it's, it's becoming a lot easier now. But definitely, I'd say it, it is it can be very challenging. And it is a lot about finding a balance. And you know, what I've experienced from my um, within family, within friends and within cousins, is that there are some individuals who completely rebel, they just can't take it. And they will just dismiss their their faith and culture and community. And they will just go towards society. And then there's others um, like myself who have tried to find a middle ground. What does an inclusive environment look and feel like to you, whether or not that's in the workplace or in the community or, or, or at home? What is what is an inclusive environment now? Yeah, I mean, within the home, an inclusive environment's okay. You can kind of work that out for yourself. I think in the community, in the workplace, I think um, for Muslims, I think I understand that, you know, business is business at the end of the day. We can't put too much pressure on a business that they have to be catering for everyone's deepest religious needs. And, you know, the business is about profit as well to some extent. And it is about people's well-being, but there has to be a balance. And I think the main thing I think that Muslims struggle with in this country is firstly, and that I've struggled with over the years profoundly, is the most important is prayer. Just for the fact that people don't understand how important it is for those who do pray, that they want to be able to just take out five or ten minutes in their day to do their prayers because they feel that's something that they is, is important to them. That can be a struggle. So when I was working at the BBC, even, you know, I had a little room that they I was very fortunate that they, they'd given me, I'd asked for, and I would just quickly go down and do my prayers. But then even going into the bathroom, you're so uncomfortable because you'd be, you know, doing the ritual wash of your face, trying not to get your makeup off and things, and feeling that if anyone sees me, oh, they're not going to know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just going to look ridiculous you'd be sneaking in trying to do it at a time when nobody would see you things like that would it would be really appreciated if people had more awareness of 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 what we're doing and why we need to suddenly maybe disappear for five minutes and just do a quick prayer it's just like meditation it's nothing more we're not doing anything sinister we're literally just worshiping god and remembering hit the higher source the universe and trying to be better people for our prayers that's all it does we'll actually probably come back as a better person after our prayer um and the other thing i guess is when it comes to things like you know what's another challenge is eid which is our religious festival right so i understand it's a challenge in the sense that for employers also we have two eids but it would be nice if they could um you know just understand that even if they if there was that understanding that when of the dates that Eid falls on and that you know often I mean for many 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 years I've worked on Eid and that's you know it's you just feel that you know there's no point mentioning it because you feel uncomfortable mentioning it but it's as important as it is for Christmas yeah. as it is and 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 it'll be nice if they recognize that and they gave us the opportunity to have a day off on Eid for me I think these are the two core aspects and also when it comes to things like drinking, you ask, you get asked questions often on Ramadan. You know, people don't seem to have an understanding of what, what, what Ramadan is or why we can't drink. So often you get asked questions in a way that's like, really, you can't drink? Really, you can't have water? Oh, my God. It'll be not. I think it's just nice if people have understanding. It's asking questions. I mean, it's, it's yeah. about being curious. And through yeah. curiosity, we then start to realise um, that that actually maybe maybe uh, well through curiosity we get a better understanding and then that understanding can lead to change within within the community within in the environment and yeah. um, we are so 
scared of asking questions because there's well I think we'd really appreciate it I think I mean if, if I go into work I would love it if we were to have like a you know if, if a leader was to say to us you know we want to sit down and we want to really understand things and we can make things better for you guys and easier for you guys and we want to understand some elements of your faith that are critical for you that would make it easier for you at work I think it'd be profound and I can really say I've had I've noticed I mean there's been some work towards this in society I've noticed such a big difference amongst Muslims that I know recently who have been like you know what Ramadan was amazing this year and I'm like really what's the difference and and people are kind of like within the community are feeling more proud of their faith. And that's because of things like Sadiq Khan and the and the Ramadan lights coming on, just and, and the fact that we're, you know, there's been Eid, um, you know, a whole new um feature on this morning, for example, where they were talking about it in a fun, friendly way. The fact that we can see ourselves being represented and we don't feel like we have for the last many years where we've been kind of labeled as terrorists and um, you know, supporters of ISIS and fanatics and fundamentalists when there could be nothing further from the truth for any of the Muslims I know. I don't know a single Muslim person who is inclined in that direction. In fact, there is a very opposite. Well, so I don't think it's as simple as this, but terrorists are terrorists, Muslims are Muslims. Totally um, different game. I mean, those who are terrorists, they they them, you know, it's a manipulation of scripture and they are inclined towards that aggressive nature and they're just picking, okay, well, let's do this. This gives me a good excuse to go out there and and perpetrate violent acts. But the majority of Muslims, it's all about, I mean, Islam, the main things I've learned and when I've learned and grown as a Muslim, it's only made me a better person in every single dimension. It's made me more loving. It's made me more humane. It makes me more giving. These are the things that I take away from it. And I think increasingly as we become more emotionally aware as a, as a society, um, more and more people are, are, are you know, are their, their understanding of Islam is all about becoming a better person. I have friends talking to me who are Muslims. They're like, what's the point of praying if we're not going to be good people? What's the point of us fasting if we're going to be, you know, we're going to go out and we're not going to be, we're not going to be, you know, caring and considerate to others? What's the point? Because we've also seen previous generations of parents who were quite ignorant of their faith at a deeper level. And they did a lot of practice, but there wasn't, it wasn't so much tied in with their character. Character and worship. Um, go hand in hand and that is what worship is about that is what fasting is about that is why we're meant to pay charity so that we 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 kind of decline ourselves and we deprive ourselves of our ego Mm. and that we then are more available and capable to give more to others I believe that that encompasses all faiths as well is that absolutely desire to go out and to be kind and to yeah. make the world a better place yeah. in whatever way that we we have decided that that we will we will do that. How specifically can women contribute to creating a to more inclusive workplaces and communities? Because I think I think we have a quite a unique yeah. set of skills. Well, we love talking. <laughs> So that's great. Yes, yes, we do. We love talking. We're highly creative and we have empathy within us and we love to form social connections. So I think that's such a powerful thing. So I think women definitely, if they have that as an agenda in their minds that we want to, you know, increase inclusive, you know, increase our that inclusive element within within our environment and within the workspace and they put their minds to it with their unique natural inherent talents and skill sets they could really make an impact so I think employers need to really think about that and get their women definitely involved more so in this area because we are just naturally inclined uh, to be social creatures we want harmony we want closeness we want connection we're just driven towards that whereas I think men some men are but many men are not so focused on that 
it's perhaps not as, oh gosh, I mean, we're massively kind of putting people into categories, aren't we here? But but it's perhaps not as much a natural skill set. But I think that's a really lovely place for, for us to stop. And I wanted to say thank you to you for not just sharing your tips on communication, but perhaps enlightening in... in... <laughs> yeah, enlightening. Enlightening. <laughs> Oh dear. Us as to what inclusivity might specifically mean for you with, with your faith, not just faith, but, but culture and race. And if only it was as simple as this, as we just need to ask questions and be kind to each other and be curious. So much wisdom in one podcast. Now, for more wisdom, make sure you hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'd also be really, really grateful if you could leave us a review. More reviews means more listens to the pod and more listens allows us to spread our simple leadership message far and wide. Make sure you also head over to leader-connect.co.uk to sign up to our newsletter, free leadership learning directly into your inbox.